welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're going to feature guitarist Paul Bolenbeck. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of High Action. I believe this is number 26. Is that right, John? It's 26, Perry. Man, can't believe it. Um, We have learned so much from this, and we're really just having a blast doing this each week. You know, uh, we started this podcast, at least researching it, back in July. Seemed like so long ago (laughs) at this point. And we had no idea how long we'd be in the pandemic, and we thought this would be a good thing to do to try to connect with our listeners and our fans. And so we really want to thank everybody who's been tuning in each week and everybody who's commenting on our Instagram, our Patreons. Thank you guys so much for making this possible for us. But Will, let me ask you, I mean, we've learned so much each week from interviewing each of these artists. I mean, they're all amazing, and we get to learn about their story, their journey, and some of their secrets in music. I mean, would you agree it's, it's been just a wonderful thing to kind of have each week to progress artistically? Well, to have so many different stories, both to compare yourself to and also just to hear how they reached the common ground that we're all on, which is a love of music, uh, you know, specifically more or less jazz. But it's not something I necessarily learned, but it really reinforces that every possible background you can imagine people come from. But the common ground is the 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 music, the language of music that we all speak and connect on. So yeah. it's just a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And, you know, I remember before the podcast days, there was always this very special thing when you were around older musicians to kind of get the stories from them. And it was a sort of a nostalgic uh, thing with with musicians. It's like, oh, tell me about how you came up. And it didn't happen that often because how many times were you around, you know, cats with more experience or older people that, you know, could kind of pass down the lineage. But we get to do this every week, John. You know, I feel like we're preserving something in a way, you know? It's true. And, you know... The thing that I keep learning here is just how important it is for musicians to just hang out with one another and for the exchange to happen kind of from generation down. I mean, it's just so happened that we've been blessed enough to have some older musicians, session guys, jazz players who've been on the show a few generations ahead of us who've been able to kind of talk to us and share with us their experience about learning the music. Um, I loved Paul Bolenbeck talking about how our generation is really well educated about jazz and has gone to college and really learned a lot. And his generation got to see Art Blakey. They got to see these guys play in the clubs. Um, so yeah. I love hearing those stories. And, you know, if we were taking lessons from a lot of those guys, I think we'd feel in that hour a little bit of the pressure or the desire to play because we're sitting there playing together. That's a good point. So this is this is a unique opportunity where we can't be playing together. So we're learning in a different way. And um, man, I mean, I've always wanted to do this with you guys, and it's it's a way exceeded my expectations, dreams. I'm, I'm, it's been really fun. I hope we can continue to do it, even when we go back to doing more um, touring and stuff. Yes, 
Yes, and it's all because of the listeners. So we really thank you guys for tuning in each week. It means a lot. And this is a really fun episode. We recorded it early on when we were starting out. We recorded it back in August. Uh, so you can kind of enjoy hearing the three of us be a little bit more new to this whole format. But yep. Paul, man, what an incredible guitar player. He's such a deep cat. He's a huge figure on the scene out here in New York. You know, I'm always trying to uh, get the scraps, so to speak, from the gigs that he doesn't care about doing. That's some, why they call you scrappy. Okay, <laughs> some, now I get it. Sometimes <laughs> fall my way, exactly. You know, you got to be scrappy to make it in New York, man. It's the only way. Please, without further ado, enjoy episode number 26 with the great Paul Bolenbach. That's better. Perry, let me hear yours again. Testing one, two, three. And Will? Testing one, yeah. two, three. Uh, now we're now we're all <laughs> pretty even here. Cool. cool. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, man. Yeah, you got it. Well, hey, it's good to see you guys. Good to meet you, uh, John and uh, and uh, Will. Oh, yeah, hey, I know. But uh, I was checking you guys out just, you know, like randomly through Facebook. Uh, everybody sounds so great, man. That group you guys have is unbelievable. Oh, thanks, sounds Paul. so good. Whoa, man. Uh, man, we can't wait to talk to you, dude. Um, uh, yeah, we met at Catalina's years ago when you were in LA, but we'll talk about, I'll, I'll bring that up later. It was really cool to see oh, you. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, man. No, it's okay. It was, it was <laughs> really, in, it was really <laughs> in passing. It was very, very quick, but yeah, man. So anyway, we'll let Perry's going to kind of take the reins for the interview today, and we've got it recorded on our end, and um, it's not live, so if we have to stop or if we have an issue or something, it's all good, man. It's pretty loose. Okay. So, Fantastic. Know. Sounds yeah. good, man. Let me just kind of get started here off the bat by sure. uh, telling you that, again, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. We have something that this is new for us that we're starting, and, and we've been able to get incredible guitar players like yourself to kind of hop on these calls and kind of share their stories and their experiences with us. And it's, it's really been pretty tremendous. So thank you in advance for this. Perry, thank uh, you. And thanks to all of you for having me on. It's, it's I think it's great you all are doing that. And I've enjoyed uh, all of your playing tremendously. It's, it's some fantastic young guitar players coming up. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not your age. <laughs> <laughs> practice harder. Well, you know, you've paved the road for us in a lot of ways. You know, we've been able to learn from cats like you. So that oh, gives cool. us a bit of a leg up. And, you know, I, I had been aware of your playing when I was in high school. I'm from the Bay Area originally. And I remember hearing about your name and, and hearing you on some recordings and stuff. But it, it wasn't until uh, I, was, I was down in uh, Los Angeles studying music for college. And I think I remember hearing you at a NAM show. You were playing with, wow. yeah, with Joey D., uh, with the trio and it was one of those crazy things you know how nam ends up being right like it's just it can be a mess well, it's but you total guys, chaos total <laughs> chaos but you guys were you were like somehow you were you weren't in one of the rooms you were in one of the i think like, i remember like, like that were we in a we were were we in a uh in, on a balcony, like yeah. in a corridor. I yes. do remember that. Oh wow, that's that's crazy. You were there. Holy cow! Yeah, I, and there was you know tons of people, and the sound was going all over the place. And um, John, you probably were with me I, because we went to these things together a mm -hmm. lot. You know, John, 
John was at SCU with me at the time we were there. And mm -hmm. anyway, so I was just really blown away by what you could do on the instrument, by your control, by how you could cut with a band that was playing real loud. You really dialed in your technique uh, and your sound to a point where it seems like you have access to whatever kind of comes into your mind, you know, whatever's kind of flowing through your ears, you can really access it on the instrument. And uh, it's really tremendous. So I just want you to know it's been inspiring for me, inspiring for all of us. And uh, oh, thank you, Kath. Yeah, I'm humbled. So <laughs> I'm just trying to play some music, you know, that's all. But, uh, but thank you very much. Appreciate that. I, I want just to also start by trying to get uh, just a little bit of background information on you. Uh, I was trying to, to read up a little bit on uh, your youth and, and uh, how you kind of came <laughs> into the music. And it's really interesting. I found that, that you had you moved around a lot when you were yep. growing up as a kid with your family. And I know your parents got you into guitar pretty early. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, the different places you live with your family and, and how that maybe uh, shaped your understanding of music and understanding of getting into music at that time because you were pretty young. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I always had a, an affinity for it. I mean, I always enjoyed it. You know, as a, as a as a kid listening, my parents had a piano around the house at some point, and of course, you know, I was listening to stuff that was on the radio at the time, which would have been pretty wide swath of stuff from like sort of the uh, classic 60s rock and roll stuff, all the Motown stuff. I mean, you know, you'd hear like, it was a radio station uh, here in New York, WNEW, which now is, they've gone a completely different direction. Of course, we're talking about, you know, <laughs> 50 years ago. That station, you'd hear like Creedence Clearwater Revival, followed nice. by Santana, followed by Marvin Gaye, and followed by the Beatles, maybe. So yeah. all that stuff, you know, there's a lot of guitar in that. So that's, mm -hmm. I think, the thing that, that got me going. And, and my, my folks were really big on education. It's like uh, they both came from small towns. My, my father from small town Jersey and uh, my mother from small town Pennsylvania. And they both wound up going to college, like kind of the first ones in their families to go to college and everything. So they were really big on education. And I think they felt like music education was an important part and I was lucky in a way because especially when I lived in the Hastings on Hudson which is a suburb of New York City um, mm -hmm. they had a very good uh, music education system run by a guy named Pete DeLuke I didn't stay in that system for very long I wound up going to another school in Tarrytown New York but they also had you know music they had a band and they had music theory and then when we moved to DC there was a school, they had a band and they had music theory and they had harmony studies and everything. So I think, you know, that particular exposure at a young age was important just in getting me interested in it. Like I said, my parents had a piano around the house, so I'd sit and I'd, you know, just kind of play around on it. You know, I'd, we, I was listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and I learned a bunch of their tunes just by ear and I'd play them, you know, like D minor to A minor kind of thing over mm -hmm. and over and over again, drive everybody crazy, right? It's odd because uh, my father was a classical trumpet player when he was coming out of high school. Wow. And I think he felt like he wasn't good enough, so he kind of switched gears. He, he started to go to Oberlin for music, and I think he just looked at the level of players. And he was like, nah, not for me. I can't do this. And I asked him many years later, I said, hey, you know, you're not really a musician, even though you had lots of uh, Benny Goodman and Harry James <laughs> Duke Ellington records around the house, which I rarely listened to. I was like, what is this? I put it on like, 
no, it's not going dun 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 dun. So, so I wasn't that interested, you yeah. know, at an early age. But he told me, he said, yeah, that's probably genetic. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, in his family, his his uh, his mother, my grandmother on his side, was one of sixteen kids, and I guess eleven of them survived, and they were all either artists or musicians, all of them. I mean, my grandmother played uh, organ in the silent movie houses, like, like as a as a hobby. You know, I didn't know wow. any of this stuff at all. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, it was kind of wow. like, really? Oh, okay, that makes some kind of sense. But uh, yeah, basically, it's just the the bouncing around thing. You know, you get exposed to a lot of different stuff. Like I think coming from where I was born, which was outside of Chicago. Right. And basically, you know, it was like countryside at that time. Now it's really a suburb, you know, with the, you know, malls and, you know, it's all paved over. But at the time right. it was country. So, yeah. like, if I wanted to visit a friend at two years old or three years old, you know, they had to drive me to somebody's house. Right. Anyways, yeah. we moved from there to Dobbs Ferry, New York. If you can imagine, right. like, talk about a culture shock for a little kid. I think I was yeah. three or something like that. And from there to Hastings. And then from there, we moved to New Delhi, India, which that yeah, was also... I wanted to ask, yeah, I wanted to ask about that. That seems... Well, you know, by that time, we had kind of moved around so much, you know, and like they put me in different schools and it, it was just kind of like, oh, here's another big change. Okay, fine. Where are we going now? Oh, India? Okay, great, cool. Let's, you, just, let's... you just rolled with it. Well, I mean, I didn't, have a, I didn't even think yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> You must have soaked up um, a lot of music that maybe stayed with you even after you guys left. Because I know you came back to New York after that, if I have that correct. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, um, yeah. But I imagine that experience at a fairly young age uh, must have stayed with you, you know, as you oh, came yeah. through your teens and into college and everything. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think from a musical standpoint, um, you know, at that time there was music everywhere and you know like i mean we didn't have any kind of tv or anything like that where we were living in new delhi so it's like you had to entertain yourself so you know you play the guitar i had a guitar i'd play the guitar it's some friends at school yeah they played some music so we'd invent our own tunes and it was mostly like rock kind of stuff and of course we had a turntable and i listened to lots of rock and roll records which was you know at that time that's what i had yeah. My dad would go back to the States for something. I'd say, you know, bring me bring me this Santana record. I want I want this Santana record. So he'd bring it back. And my friends and I, we'd learn, you know, evil ways, you know, and like jam on evil ways for hours, you know. Um, and there was a, actually at the time in New Delhi, there were um, people who were working. There were musicians who were working for the, the government and they would go and they'd, they'd, they'd play all these government functions around New Delhi and really around the whole area. So they travel, you know, within that part of the world. And it was a family. It was like, a, you know, mom and dad and a couple of kids and they all played guitars and they all sounded great. And so I was looking at this, I was like, oh my gosh, wow, that's amazing. You know, musical families, man. It's yeah. like you can't beat them for the level of the young players as they come up. But I think that was inspiring. And then you heard so much Indian music, like just it was everywhere. I mean, everybody has their radio blasting. I remember, you know, of course, there's lots of construction and trucks delivering goods. And these trucks would have like a literally a, a loudspeaker mounted on the outside of the truck, just blasting whatever music that they were into. So you couldn't I mean, it was impossible to get away from even if you wanted to. Right. And I just remember a colleague of my uh, father's. They had been in India for a while and the son had a sitar. So I would go over to, the, to their house 
and and the sun was never around the sitar is sitting in the corner and i'm like wow what is this this is really cool and i'm trying to play it and of course it's like hard and horrible and difficult so i'm saying mom i want to i want to learn to play the sitar we're going to india i want to learn to play the sitar and she looks at me she says no you need to learn to play the guitar first so like i'm still working on that that's how yeah, i look yeah. at it you know yeah, I think you're right. It, that informs you know, stuff you hear when you're younger. It, it kind of sticks, tends to stick with you, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what a cool experience, you know? Uh, I mean, I imagine there was inherent challenges moving around, like you had mentioned, but it must have been really cool when you think back on it, just the different musical influences that you had at such a young age. And yeah. uh, when, you did, when you did come back to the States, I think you guys, correct me, you were in New York and then also Washington, D.C., before you yeah. went to college? Yeah, that's right. We moved to D.C. I was 15 when we moved to okay. D.C. So you're you're getting into jazz at high school. You're you're advancing on the guitar quite a bit, and you end up at University of Miami in in the 70s, right? Mid 70s or something? I uh, would have been. Uh, I went there in 79. 79. Okay. 79. So I went there. Only, I only went there for two years. Okay. Um, I just I never really. Well, what had happened? You'll, this is a funny story. You'll, you'll laugh about this. So, when I was after I moved to DC, you know, I had a chance to meet some some really interesting musicians pretty much right away through friends of mine in New York that had connected with these people on some really weird, random. It was like a beach retreat that they went on because my friends knew they could go and there would be girls there and they could get high and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, but yeah. it was like a church retreat, you know, it was yeah. pretty funny. really. <laughs> so anyway, they came, I didn't go. They, they, they came back and they're like, man, you know, if it, you know, this, it was really cool. It was great. It was so happening. And then when they found out, well, Oh, you're moving. Oh, wow. Oh, you're moving to DC, man. Listen, look up these guys. So to make a long story, an already long story, even longer, um, <laughs> what what uh, what winds up happening is I meet these musicians and we're we're hanging out. And we we wind up playing. We start doing a bunch of gigs. We start hanging on the scene a little bit in D.C. Trying to you know wow these incredible players and what is this jazz music and uh, mm -hmm. one of my friends had like a literally a whole room with all the walls from floor to ceiling covered with uh, vinyl. And wow. so we would go over to his basement and like just basically listen to music and play like like for days at a time. I mean, it was really a, a pretty incredible experience. What I'm leading up to is that when I was at University of Miami, you know, it was a very a sort of a technical, like a skill based thing. In other words, you know, you got to work on your reading was really more for gearing musicians towards a studio and towards, you know, employment. In other words, to be able to walk in and read a chart or play many different styles. That was sort of the vibe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really coming from that at all. Mm -hmm. So after a couple of years, I, I left. But what really was the deciding factor for me was I would go back to D.C. like on a break. And I mm -hmm. played with the same players that I was, you know, kind of, you know, hanging with before I went to Miami. And these players were improving like radically. I mean, like just like through the roof so fast and much better than me. And I was like, what am I doing going to school? These guys, they, they could, they're, they're working, they're doing gigs. They could really play, you know, right, right. Cause they were gigging all the time. Right. Yeah. And so that was, instrumental in my decision to to like just not go back to school it it didn't hurt that those players were ed howard the bass player who wound up going with with roy haynes and clifford jordan and junior cook and played yeah. with all these great players and shirley horn also yeah. Yeah. um steve williams the drummer and frank wow. kimbrough 
So, wow. I mean, of course, yeah, they, they were getting yeah. better. So th that was kind of, uh, kind of cracked me up. Actually, the first person I met when I moved to DC was bass player Ed Howard, you know, like literally the first person I met. So it's just kind of a serendipitous thing somehow. Anyway, you know? So when you're back there, you're also working quite a bit as a composer too. You, you were working with, uh, if I had this correct, someone named Asher Zaltnik, right? And Zlotnik. I, Zlotnik, Zlotnik, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Zlotnik, yeah. I'm wondering, did you feel like at that time you maybe wanted to go further into composing or was that just something you were doing to further your experience or financially? What was sort of the pull for you? Well, I, I, I think for me it was more like panic because um, <laughs> at, at the time, I mean, I, I, I became a father fairly young. And so ah. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to make a living. What do I know how to do? Will I know how to play music? I can kind of play the guitar. And, and people also were very generous in the D.C. area. They were like, oh, he just had a kid. We should hire him, oh. you know, which, which was helpful. But one of the things that I found is I felt like my, my ears were not up to what I thought they should be. I mean, you know, people are always telling you if you're a musician, they say, you know, oh yeah, man, you got good ears. You got good ears. Right. I didn't really think anything of it because I didn't think they were very good on it, to be honest with you. But I said, okay, fine. You say I have good ears. Then I got in some situations where, where I couldn't really understand what was going on. And it was, I felt bad about it. I mean, it wasn't like a horrible disaster or anything, but I just felt bad. I called up a friend of mine who was, had been giving me a bunch of gigs Okay. Great guitar player named Paul Wingo, who is in that area. The man, the DC area at that time for guitar players was yeah. kind of kind of unreal, man. A really fantastic players. I mean, not like New York or LA, but but you know, very focused on maybe six or seven players who were just yeah. out, out of this world. Anyway, this this guy Paul Wingo, he said he said, How'd the gig go? Because he recommended me as a sub. I said, Man, you know, you know, it was cool, but there was something weird. I couldn't hear what the singer was doing. And I played some chords that seemed like it didn't fit. And, you know, yeah. I was getting the death stare. So, <laughs> so I don't know. And he said, man, you should, if you want to work on your ears, you should go study with this guy, Asher ah. Zlotnik. So that was the initial impetus was <laughs> I, I felt like uh, I needed help. Yeah. And, uh, and he, his methodology definitely changed the course of my music career in terms of helping me to develop my ears to the point i don't have perfect pitch um but but what i learned from him really helped me sure. since most of the people that you wind up playing with at a certain level do have perfect pitch um, yeah absolutely. And, and so to be able to kind of have a conversation in that world you know you have to be able to hear what's going on so but dr zlotnik also taught composition harmony and basically anything about music that you wanted to know. He's a really brilliant teacher. And I got an enormous amount. I studied with him privately for about eight years off and on. Wow. And, uh, so when you ask about composition, that was, you know, I was always writing stuff and I would bring stuff into him and he'd, you know, take, you know, an hour and a half to pick apart three bars of it, you know, like, oh, well, I think maybe, maybe he had a really deep voice. I think maybe, maybe this chord would be better. And he'd play some <laughs> jacked up chord. I'd be like, what is that? He's like, you can't hear that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know, it was old school, basically. Yeah. But it, yeah. it, that was super cool, man, that, 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 that experience. And, you know, he passed on. But there, it's a funny thing talking about Dr. Zlotnik. Um, Zlotnik. I've been doing some some uh, outdoor concerts in Connecticut recently with the saxophone player Benny Wallace. I don't know if mm. you all are familiar with him. He's a yeah. you know pretty unique and incredible voice on the horn, 
and he also studied with Zlotnik and we were reminiscing about him. And of course, cool. Zlotnik would tell me about Benny, like, oh, you should check out Benny. He's great. And I guess he was talking about me, too, which surprised me because I, I basically thought I sucked, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Nobody's sure. going to be talking about you, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of uh, funny. I'm sure eight years working with somebody, you know, you, were, you probably felt like he, he might have felt like you were his protege in a lot of ways, too. So that's, Maybe. That's, that's really cool. And. I can I can relate to um, you mentioned earlier the panic uh, of being a new father. I am also a new father. Congratulations, uh, man! Thank you. We have we have a ten month old baby boy, and and it's uh, it's amazing in every single way. But yeah, you certainly feel like the heat is on. You gotta you yep. gotta get to work. Yeah, um, yeah. No no well, playing around. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what. <laughs> speaking of no playing around. Uh, <laughs> When you, uh, around this time, you kind of ended up connecting with some great musicians that you've had some uh, long-term collaborations with people like Gary Thomas and, and Joey D. Can you talk a little bit about how during that time you, you connected with Joey Francesco and like, was it in Philadelphia? Was it in Washington? How did you guys kind of come? It was in D.C. So here's, here's another funny story. So my, uh, my then wife and I at the time, it's a Sunday. I'm living outside D.C. I'm okay. working all the time. I'm, you know, staying busy, you know, pretty much lots of gigs. But I had, a, I had a day off. So we said, let's drive to the beach. Now, you have to understand to drive to the beach is three hours, right? You go to the, like, the Delaware, Delaware shoreline, right? Three hours there, three hours back. Usually you don't stay over. You just get completely, you know, exhausted by the sun and then yeah. hopefully don't fall asleep at the wheel coming home, right? But that particular day, there was... Uh, a ton of traffic like even just getting you know onto the highway was was a mess and i just said man this is ridiculous I, let's just go home and like chill out and read the paper now keep in mind this is the time before answering before uh not answering machines but before cell phones and even mm -hmm. before pagers mm -hmm. so you know it's like we get home and there's a message on the answering machine so this is probably around 11 o'clock in the morning and uh, listen to the message. Uh, yes, this is Mr. Charles Cassells from the Charlene Jazz Society. And I'd worked for them quite a bit over the years. Said, uh, we're having a big event at the Kennedy Center tonight. And uh, <laughs> we just found out that, uh, that several of the bands need a guitar player. Are you available? So just imagine if I had gone to the beach. Yeah. So Joey was one of those bands. And, you know, I guess we hit it off. You know, it's like I had a chance to play with him, with James Moody, with uh, Kent Jordan. Sort of like we did like a couple of different quartets in the course of that okay. evening. And that was a, that was a great event, actually. It was uh, they had uh, Dizzy Gillespie fronting the Frank, the uh, uh, Frank Foster's Count Basie band. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Marlena Shaw, I played with her in that setting, uh, but all of it was very last minute. I mean, basically it was like, they said, be here at four o'clock for a sound check. Okay, cool. Show yeah. up. Wow. It, it, Joey cracked me up. Now I've known the guy forever. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 he cracked me up because he's, he can be like kind of a contrary guy. Not in a negative kind of way, but just like he's definitely not looking for, you know, Mr. Smooth, you know, as far right. as like a sideman is concerned. He's right. more interested, I think, in individual personalities. Right. So I, I, I showed up there at four o'clock and there was nobody around. So I looked around. I'm asking, hey, does anybody know about the sound check? Oh, OK, well, what time is the concert? The concert's at 730. OK, fine. I'll see you at seven. 
okay. I said to whoever was on, you know, managing the stage. Yeah, yeah. I went home and I was I was a little pissed because I was like, man, you dragged me over here to the Kennedy yeah, Center for totally. nothing. Come on, man. Yeah. So I got back there about <laughs> seven o'clock and I run into Joey and he's like, well, oh, you're the guitar player, huh? I said, say yeah. Yeah, so you missed a sound check. I said, man, I was here. There was nobody here. And he liked the fact that I got mad and went home. <laughs> he actually liked yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the craziest thing, right? Most people are like, well, where are you? You're, I don't know if you're reliable. But I, he just liked the fact that I was like, you know what? Screw this. So yeah. anyway, that was the start of our, he called me like about four months later. He said, yeah, I got a couple gigs in D.C. We'll see how it goes. And cool. that was that, you know. The beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say. Well, you uh, you guys made a lot of great recordings, especially throughout the 90s and into, into the 2000s and everything. And uh, I know that we may want to play a clip from uh, one of those a little bit later on. Oh, wow. Um, but I wanted to uh, just talk a little bit more about as you were progressing, you know, uh, during this time, you were really making your mark on, on Washington, had some uh, awards and some notoriety there and uh, you decided to move back to New York City right sort of sort of late 80s and one of the questions that I have is, as a Brooklyn guy I've uh, been on the New York scene here for about 10 years I'm always really interested to ask cats like you you know how you feel the scene was in the late 80s and in the 90s and, and maybe how you view it now and how it's changed right. and maybe I know we talk a lot about different venues like Bradley's and uh, right. the Village Gate, the Bottom Line. I've talked to some cats in your generation just about the differences in the scene, and I'm wondering if you could, you know, just articulate your thoughts on that. Well, it's radically different in many ways. I started coming to New York to play in. It's got to be like the early '90s, uh, like pretty pretty regularly. I would actually come up drive up and then drive back to dc which is you right. know it's, it can be exhausting yeah four hours but I, I did it and then at a certain point um it just made more sense to live here so in 97 i actually pulled the trigger and moved so it was a little oh, okay. later i kind of came in at the tail end of bradley's um which was an amazing scene i mean it's like you'd go in i would going to hear john hicks and there would be cecil taylor in the front row, like kind of commenting on stuff that John was playing, which was hilarious. I mean, here's Cecil Taylor, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, John, yeah, <laughs> what? Nah, come on, hey, right? You know, <laughs> like, it's just, 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 you know, I'm looking at this like, wow, man, that's Cecil Taylor, holy cow. Yeah. I met uh, Attila Zoller at Bradley's, and I just, it's, he was so cool. And this is one thing that I, I mean, I don't know whether this is different. It's actually not that much different because musicians are musicians wherever they come from. But I always found that the older generation were always, you know, kind of welcoming and, and maybe they weren't going to give you any gigs, <laughs> but at least they were going to talk to you for the most part. Like I remember I met so many people at that time who were just so cool. Like I'm sitting at the bar at Bradley's. I forget who I was listening to. And Attila Zoller was sitting next to me. And I, I, I sort of recognized him, but I'm like, uh, I don't. I don't know who is this cat, and and after on the break he says, "Hey man, are you a guitar player?" I must have been checking out Russell Malone or somebody, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I go, "Yeah, yeah." He said, oh, "I'm a Zoller. Wow, man!" So we start talking and stuff, and and uh, just that kind of vibe between the older musicians yeah. and somebody that they didn't. That, I mean, he didn't know me from Adam at right. all. He was just like you know, cool. And so, you know, I don't. I don't 
I don't think that has particularly changed, but I think the interaction between the younger generation and the older generation has changed. Mm. And uh, I think in, part of it is like for, for us in my generation, you know, the people that we were going out to hear and uh, look, up, look up to were people like Freddie Hubbard, McCoy Tyner, Cedar Walton, Sam Jones, you know, Billy Higgins. Oh, man. You know, all these folks who have, have gone, right? But, I mean, I got a chance to hear Dexter Gordon, wow. you know, oh, a number wow. of times. I heard Art Blakey, I don't know how many times, you oh, know? Man. But the point is that, that they still are, like, the gold standard for playing yeah. that kind of music. So, you know, the, the generations that came up underneath, I feel like, you know, we're still looking up to them like, wow, man, this is something yeah. to... Like, like, as a young player, I never thought that I would even get close you know, that was not even on my horizon. It was like, they're so good. They're so amazing. I'm, uh, you know, I'll just try. That's the yeah. best I can do. I'll try. I'll do the best I can. And if my phone keeps ringing, great. And if it doesn't, then I'll find something else to do. You've done more than try. I think you've really oh, well, supplanted thanks, yourself man. in that uh, category. Try. And um, well, you're talking a little bit about the scene and some of the differences and, and the way that the older cats interact with some of the younger cats. And, right. you know, even before I, I was living in New York and I was just coming to visit, you know, maybe early 2000s, things like that, just trying to get my feet wet in the scene a little bit from California. There was this notion of older cats kind of letting younger cats sit in. Like I would go to some gigs and people would be like, hey, come on, sit in. Because there was more stuff that was loose. You know, it wasn't, there wasn't as much stuff that was recital or, or very uh, particular kind of music that was driven for a performance. It was like guys getting together, playing at smaller places, like in the East Village places, like, you know, Club Detour or Louis 649 or some yep. of these smaller places where, you know, people were like, yeah, just come on up, try and hang, you know, like, so that was, you know, that I, is a difference. I think, but I think that just to finish my thought, I guess yeah. I'm going on here, but I, I think that, that the, um, one of the big differences now is due to uh, music education. So mm -hmm. younger players are coming out, you know, they, they've studied Freddie mm -hmm. Hubbard. They've studied Art Blakey. Now they may not understand the impact having witnessed those people do their thing live, but they certainly understand the details of the music and how everything is put together. And even like you say, going beyond that into, into their own compositions and trying to do their own thing. So the connection from what, what I feel that a lot of the younger players don't feel that they have anything to learn from older players. Some, not all by any stretch, but I think this is one of the main differences. And, and I do understand because it's like, Hey, man, you know, you think about guitar players that you could go here, you know, you could sometimes catch George Benson in a small club, which I did, which was incredible. Wow. You could go hear John Abercrombie, John Abercrombie and Ralph Towner. You could go hear Pat Metheny in a small club wow. playing with that trio that he had with Roy Haynes. Oh, man. You know, I mean, you could go and check these people out. And so you're just like amazed by it. So, you know, the younger generation coming up is going to look to some extent, I think, past the folks who are still around to those greats and say, well, this is the standard I aspire to, which is as it should be. So I think that is different. And as I said, I think that has to do with jazz education mm. more so than anything else. I mean, I think about the students that I have now who are, you know, 16, 17, in some cases, 14 years old. I mean, I couldn't play anything like that when I was that age. I mean, there we didn't is, have the information. You know? Exactly. There's a lot more access to information now, but yeah. You know, what we feel like, or at least what I feel like, is that, that information can only take you so far that it's the experience and the knowledge that's passed down from the 
from uh, the older generations is, is still, in my opinion, just as crucial. And, you know, speaking of that, your recording catalog is, is really incredible. You know, you just wow, been on thanks. a ton of records. You have a lot um, that are out under your own name as well. Two of them that I'm familiar with is Invocation, aforementioned Portraits in Space and Time. This one I've been becoming more recently familiar with. Uh, it's a really great recording. I know I know Joseph as well uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Rogerio, the guys that you were playing on the album with. Really sound great on there. You sound incredible on there. You got a mix of tone between your nylon and uh, I think it's your Boris guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the red one. The, the, yeah. the sort of semi, semi, semi-solid. It's chambered on the inside. No, no F-holes. Really beautiful stuff on this record. I wanted just to play uh, a track from it real quick for everybody. Sure. Is, would that be okay? It's, uh, yeah, we wanted yeah, to yeah, highlight yeah. A, a clip from the tune Lights, which is on this record. I think oh, John wow. John has <laughs> okay. it queued up. Um, yeah, I've been digging through this whole album, man. I just I dig it oh, a oh, lot. Cool. So. that in forever well oh man that's killing i yeah you, man. so many things about that uh that i think are just so awesome i mean i love how you guys go into that little swing moment over the six eight or however you're thinking of that other section uh yeah it's really really great playing thematic development the control with your lines it's all just really top notch so oh, thank, thank you, you for putting Appreciate that out that. man well thanks for listening you know it's not a it's not a given that that your music yeah. is going to be heard <laughs> yeah, so, no, I so so I definitely appreciate it when people do check it out. Thank you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, everybody, just hang in there. We're gonna take a short little break here. We'll be back with the great Paul Bolin back in just a moment. Today's episode of High Action is sponsored by Jeff Traugott Guitars. Jeff is a luthier based in Santa Cruz, California and he brings an incredible quality of artistry and craftsmanship to the acoustic guitar. He only builds about 12 guitars a year, and he develops a very close relationship with each one of his customers. Together, he focuses on the tone and the playability that you want from the acoustic guitar. Here's a recording of me playing my Trigot acoustic. The playability is amazing, the tone is rich, so for more information, check out trialguyguitars.com. I mean, 
mean, I would like to say if you're if you are rolling still, yeah. that uh, I think it's amazing that sh- that you guys are doing this. I mean, there's oh, a few people who thanks, have Paul. really kind of taken the the bull by the horns and said, you know, we're not just going to sit around and and panic. We're going to try and do something, mm-hmm. something to 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 kind of keep things going and keep ourselves interested and keep other people interested. Which yeah, you know, yeah. It's, I for one really appreciate it. You know, thank you. Yeah, well, it's all really the the pleasure is ours uh, to get to hang and speak with you in this format is is really an honor. And I want to just pass it on to uh, my brothers here, John and Will. Um, I know they have a bunch of questions uh, to get started. Uh, I don't know. uh, Will, do you want to start out asking some questions here? I know. Yeah. uh, Uh, Well, Paul, nice to virtually meet you. I, I was hoping to maybe just hone in a little bit on the on the nitty gritty of like things you're working on right now or like Mm. things that you find useful for practice, for daily practice, Um, whether it's playing the guitar or not, or I mean, maybe digging into some more of your composition process, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I think composition wise, honestly, I'm stalled. I have been for a little bit. Um, I had kind of a nice blast of tunes in uh you know 2014 and then just a little bit but it it, you know i've been spending a lot of time with other people's music you know basically a lot of the stuff that i'm working on now is stems from other folks music that they want me to play and a lot of times the stuff is pretty pretty challenging so i wound up spending a lot more time on that than i would you know sitting with my own compositions Mm -hmm. um so so for composing i would like to be more disciplined about it in general, um, I'm not very disciplined about anything. I should be, but I'm not, unfortunately. So um, it kind of comes and goes. And if I feel like it, I'll write something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't sit down every day to write. I just, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Although I wish I did. I know some people do, and, and that's, I think that's an amazing feat if you can pull it off. Because then you can get, really get a chance to develop things. For, for me, um, I would say probably 80% of my, my tunes just come out of my head. In other words, I'll yeah. be thinking about it and I'll be like, I'll be like, ooh, I, that's a kind of a nice melody I'm hearing in my brain. Let me see. What is that? And I'll jot it down. I'll be, and then from there, I'll be like, oh, yeah, this should go with this set of chords. There's a few tunes that I've written that are basically exactly like that. Like I already knew what they were going to be. I just had to jot them down, which, you know, that's great when it works. <laughs> and then, yeah <laughs> when it's not working it's kind of like yeah what have you done for me lately kind of a thing you know? i think that's an interesting point you bring up i mean we're all guitarists and composers here and yes, you are it's it's funny man like sometimes you'll like have this idea that you're working on developing and developing and you spend all this time writing it and crafting it and yet something that you may have written that's like one tenth of the complexity it just has so much more like durability and lasting power. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. I'm always curious to get other people's perspective on, sure. on yeah. composing. Well, well I man, can me, I, I was just going to say for me, it's, it's, it's usually uh, very immediate. In other words, if I'm going to write, I, I want to write about something. I don't necessarily want to write like as a musical exercise, you know, for me, it just, it's like an event happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I meet somebody and we have a great conversation or somebody I know passes on, you know, and you write something about that, you know, something that sparks that, that immediacy, which captures that moment. Mm-hmm. And that for me is, is, is an important 
aspect of it because it communicates. It's not a mental exercise. It's not a, an intellectual or physical exercise, even on the instrument. It's, it's something that is uh, hopefully real and that is communicated to other people in that way. Sure, sure. Go ahead, uh, can, sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, can I get a little nerdy here and just ask, like, what are some things you're shedding? I think we're all shedding a lot these days. I mean, I can't help but ask, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I was doing really good in the first part of this. I, I pulled out my little book and, you know, it was like every day making, you know, making notes, like copious notes. Nice. I think this is about three months worth of all different kinds of stuff. One thing after the other, you know, page after page of stuff. But I kind of fallen off of that. I don't know. Maybe part of it is that I'm, I am working a little bit now. Mm. And it's just the whole, you know, like, okay, put on your mask. Make sure you're not, you know, getting close to anybody. And you're outside and it's hot and you're sweating. And then by the time you get home, you're just kind of like exhausted. You need a break. That, that's kind of taken away a little bit of the, uh, the energy for practice. But um, – Certainly, I'm working on some of Benny Wallace's music because that stuff is really challenging. You know, it's a very octave displacement kind of awkward on the guitar kind of stuff. So that's a, that's learning that and trying to get inside of how to execute it is part of the thing. So that's like fingerings and, okay, am I going to do this with a pull-off or, you know, this, these kinds of things. And oftentimes I'll take little tidbits like that of other people's music. And I'll I'll turn turn problems I'm having into an exercise. Yeah. So like if I've got a problem with a particular fingering, I'll take it and work it across the strings. Maybe I'll work it up and down horizontally. Maybe I'll see where it, where else it could fit in terms of the, uh, the the harmony or like even on a different tune, just so I can get my head around it. So when it comes time to play it, it sounds like I know what I'm doing. I'm doing some maintenance. Uh, I was doing more at the beginning of all this, you know, sort of uh, left-hand exercises to get my legato tech, keep my legato technique, and also to keep minimize finger motion so I'm not doing like this, you know, trying to keep it so it's nice and even. Mm-hmm. Working on making sure I'm not squeezing the neck with the left hand so it's very low pressure so I can get around more quickly. I was working on a bunch of classical guitar stuff because I found that to be very useful. Yeah. Just in terms of, of control of the instrument. Also, it's beautiful music. Uh, some transcription, trying to get some bebop stuff together. So that's, in a way, that's nice. kind of it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Man, there's a, lot, there's a lot of vocabulary to unpack in your playing, even from that, that clip we listened to, the, the way you can really freely go mm-hmm. between lines and really grooving on like the chord melody playing. So Mm. it's all, it's very inspiring to hear that. Yeah, exactly. Will. And like, again, Paul, it's so cool to to get to hang for a second. We did meet at Catalina's years ago when you did the show with Joey DeFrancesco and Jimmy Smith, which was just like, absolutely blew me out. I was sitting front row in that show with earplugs on, man. And I was right in front of your amp the whole time. (laughs) And I was up there. I was like, man, there's a cat. Playing, you were playing your X5, I think, and maybe you were playing a Starfire. I can't remember, but I was like, dude, this guy. It might have been the Starfire at that yeah. time. Yeah. I was familiar with you because I had bought, when I was in high school, there was a jazz record store in Oregon where I grew up called the Cat's Meow, and they sold like Steeplechase and High Note and a lot of the mm-hmm. boutique stuff you couldn't get at Borders. And I found uh, Dreams. Oh, wow. And I have it. I was actually, this morning, I was looking through my little CD binder, and there it was. 
That's a great record. That's got Tane on there and Joe yep. Locke and Ray Drummond, yep. right? Yes. So yes. for those who are listening here on the podcast, of course, we love on High Action talking about you know, records and how we got exposed to you guys because we're trying to interview all of our heroes and all the cats mm. that have influenced us, you being, of course, one of them, man. I always thought one of the things that drew me to your playing when I was in high school is I saw you holding that big box on that album cover. Do you? And I know you're kind of playing the Boris a little bit. Do you see yourself as a torch carrier with the big box arch tops, or are you enjoying playing more of the thin line guitars? As you know, Will and Perry and I are kind of we love in New West Guitar Group playing the ar the full arch tops, yeah. and it's really hard to get a good sound out of them. We're both 175 and L5 guys. But I'm just curious if, if that's something that you see yourself artistically continuing to go in playing a bigger box, or are you playing the smaller guitars? Um, what, what have you been up to recently with that? I mean, I kind of go back and forth. This reminds me a little bit, uh, I'd asked Pat Martino a very similar kind of question. Uh, when he'd gone from playing a solid body, mm -hmm. I guess it was a Parker guitar, Fourth, to, yeah. you know, back to playing a larger, larger box. And he said, man, I just missed the feel of the wood, you know? <laughs> so, so, so I mean, I, I do go back and forth. Actually, um, one of the things that's been interesting about this period of time where you're not running around doing two or three gigs a day and teaching five students and basically having these really long days with no time to think about anything, you've got time to think about sound and to experiment. So one of the things that I did, actually, this would go also to Will's question. You know, I set up some recording stuff and I would just try different things out. So one of the things I was looking at was the comparison between sort of the thinner guitar, which, you know, it's a little more, a little easier to hold, a little easier to play. And then the fatter guitar, which I have a, a Boris, which is uh, called the uh, B122 Jimmy Weibel mm -hmm. model, right? L.A., you guys must have known Jimmy Wilde. Yeah, a lot of guys on the West Coast play the Boris guitars, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. and he was a big, uh, you know, supporter of Roger Boris in that, in that sense. So anyway, I'm experimenting, I'm checking, I'm like basically recording a drum track, and then multiple guitar tracks afterwards, and then just muting and going back and forth. What do I like? What, what sounds good? Now nah, that sounds like shit. You know, how about this one? Hmm, well, that's interesting, but I, I like this, but I don't like this. So long story short, I'm really liking this puppy right here mm -hmm. a, a lot. It's a Boris. It's probably distorting, but... just very very full sounding but i noticed that that in some groups it didn't seem to really do the trick so i happen to be doing something with pat bianchi that i've been working with a lot lately the organ player and uh, we were doing a live stream and i brought both guitars and i'm like pat i'm going crazy man you got good ears man you know just give me your opinion because, you know, I'm driving myself crazy here, one after the other. <laughs> I like this, but I don't like this. Today, I like this one. Ah, today, this sounds terrible, you know, going back and forth. I feel you, bro. <laughs> he had a great way to put it. He said, the thin guitar has uh, more attack and a faster response and less body. And the big guitar has more body and a slower response mm -hmm. or less attack. Right. And, and I started thinking of it in terms of where does this fit? In, in, in musically, so like if I'm doing these uh, these gigs with Benny Wallace and the big guitar works good because it's guitar trio with a horn and the horn is not mic'd, so it's it's you know it's not that loud and it's got a big full fat sound, everything cool. 
try this with an organ group. Like I used to bring this guitar sometimes to smoke when I would sub for Pete Bernstein with Mike Ladon's group. And I would just get nailed because it's, it's this, I don't know if you know, the stage at Smoke is small mm-hmm. and the guitar amp is like around your legs and the Leslie is maybe five feet away from you and it's loud, man. And the you know, horn is coming through the monitor system and the thing would be feeding back and it would just be uh, really annoying. So I realized, okay, organ, is it's a fat sound. you got to be something that cuts through. So more attack, less body is good. Mm-hmm. You're playing, I'm playing like a Latin jazz ensemble uh next week mm-hmm. which has got you know like six pieces and it's got keyboard saxophone two percussionists drums and bass so which guitar am i going to bring i'll bring the small one the right. one that has the attack so i'm really thinking about it in terms of what's appropriate for the for a given situation right i think i think if somebody said hey man you only had to play you only get to play one i'd probably take the big one of course just because it's got that f- the fatness to it that i really like but right I mean, you also have to be practical you know? right well before i wind it back to perry for us to to of course just one i want to play just a little clip of you playing with joey because it is a really great example of how in an organ trio you can have that attack, but that full-bodied kind of Kenny Burrell-inspired sound. Because it is an art form in of itself, man. As you know, you're one of those cats that's played a lot in organ trio, along with Pete. It's like you really hear the approach, man. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to just really quick. We'll just listen to like a couple seconds of this for the sure. listeners. And I love the whole funny. neck. Yeah, man. And I can tell you're playing a big box on that for sure. And it's, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's just so inspiring to hear that. So how high is your action? I mean, it is the name of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now it's not that high because I'm getting older. You know, I don't want to have to work that hard, but I, right. I did go, I, I went down to 11s just because, uh, I, I thought I could get more sustained, but then I went back to 12s because I wasn't, it sounded thin and mm-hmm. I wanted something that had a little more beef to it. And also, you know, if I'm digging in with the pick 11s just don't do the trick. So, um, I mean, I think on the on the arch top, the action is, I would call it medium. You know, it's not super low. <clears throat> it's also not like this. Yeah. Like, you know, I used to, <laughs> I used to, I didn't hate it because it was a challenge, but sometimes I'd go to smoke to hear, you know, hear LaDon and Pete and whoever else was playing just to, you know, hang and check it out. And so they don't, they say, hey man, come on and play a tune, you know? And sometimes I wind up playing Pete's guitar with its like 14s with the high action. Yeah. And I just remember one time Don called, uh, it was some like burning fast blues. It was like, you know, <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, like where you count everything in one, 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 
one yeah. like this, and I had to had to try and find my way through it on Pete's, you know, like like this. It was yeah. like, ah, yeah, man. Pete, Pete just said we were talking to him a while ago. He said he's he's lowered it down one to thirteens, and when he said I'm taking it down to thirteens, all of us were like. <laughs> And when when Pat Martino came to SC, he had his Gibson 446, that Pat, Pat Martino custom model. And we were talking afterwards, and he and he was like, I was saying, man, so is it true that you use heavy strings? He's like, I don't know. Why don't you be the judge of that? Yeah. He hands his guitar to me, and it has like 16s on it. And I'm like, holy Whoa. God, Pat. Man, really? And he, yeah. and, and he was, and he just looked at me, and he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, well, man. his yeah. his thing is that he he can't you know he says I pick really hard. Mm-hmm. So if I use lighter strings, I'm going to break the strings, and that's why he uses heavy strings. At least that's that's the that's the reason he gave to me. I remember I was playing with Joey. Actually, we were in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Artist Quarter. Uh, mm-hmm. Phil Upchurch was in town doing something, and he came out and he was hanging. And Phil, you want to sit in, man? He said, Yeah, sure. Can I use your guitar? <laughs> He got off the bandstand and he was like this. He said, "He said, you know, you don't have to have high, str- you know, high action to get a good sound. <laughs> you know, he said you can get a good sound with nines if you want to. So, I mean, I think it's personal. You know, well, let's not go that far. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, well, hey, listen, man, I remember playing John McLaughlin's guitar back in the dressing room at the bottom line, and 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 uh, you know, it's like a, a thing for young players. Hey, man, can I play your guitar? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, so I." I couldn't play any lines on it because it, it my pick would just get stuck in the strings. Wow. And he had either eights or nines on there. It was on a Johnny Smith too, yeah. which wow. is kind of a, kind of incredible. But he, you know, he was using a lot of processing on his sound. He had uh, mm-hmm. like some overdrive and uh, some kind of chorus and and reverb and delay. So the sound electronically. And I said, John, how do you play this thing? And he, he said, I pick very very lightly. <laughs> <laughs> What would Johnny Smith say about that, too, right? You know, but love anyway. it. Oh, he'd probably say, well, that's very interesting. Yeah. And something like that. <laughs> <laughs> very noncommittal. Oh, man, this is great. I'm going to toss it back to Perry, man. That's great, Paul. It's just, this is, uh, yeah, the, my high school jazz guitar self is so geeking out right now, man. Because <laughs> really after funny, jazz man. camp, you, Dave Stryker, Whitfield, that yeah. scene of guys I got hip to because I first learned about K- Kenny and Grant and Jim and Tal, mm-hmm. and then I learned about guys like you and Russell, and so it's really cool to get to chat with you, man. Wow, man. Well, very cool for, for all of you to do this. This is, uh, it's, you know, it's funny because we're all just working, you know? Yeah. Somebody told yeah. me a very interesting thing. They said uh, it was an older musician. Uh, I was telling them how great I thought they sounded, and they said, I mean, we're, I'm just farther along the road. That's all. I've been yeah. doing it longer. That's all. So yeah. it's you know for for a lot of us older players, you know we're we're just we're just doing our thing. McCoy Tyner is quoted as saying, "All those records were trained. They were just making some recordings, doing some tours, doing some playing." Yeah, uh, as players, <laughs> they didn't really necessarily think that they were going for something that was groundbreaking or, you know, would have such an impact. Right, man. Yeah. And so that's Absolutely. the uh, that's that's something to think about. You know. It's you know, it's it's great to kind of hear um, from guys like you, from yourself specifically, who we think of up on this pedestal of uh, the giants of the jazz guitar. It's it's just great to know that you're considering a lot of the same things that we've been considering too, like just how to cut with your instrument, how to get a sound, and really the details, getting into the, the fine details of the guitar, whether you're thinking about 
music you're working on? Do you want to have this passage have some pull-offs on it? Or do you want to articulate every note? All those little mm-hmm. things. Yeah. It's really cool to hear you talking about them at this stage in your career because it's the things that we're still working on. And it kind of gives it's me the this... same. Yeah, it kind it of really gives me is. this notion that, you know, we're all on this journey and, and we're going to kind of be continuing to work on a lot of these things throughout our, our career. And uh, it's just really cool to hear this from you. Um, oh. Just to slightly... Uh, veer off that just for one of my last questions here before we let you go could you give us your your desert island jazz guitar recordings the ones you take with you the oh. top five top ten whatever comes to your mind does it I'm have to be jazz staff. guitar <laughs> no it can be anything but just, you know, just well, number one would probably be shirley horn here's to life nice another one would be glenn gould the goldberg variations mm-hmm. yep yeah yep um, so you notice not too much jazz guitar there. Right. Probably Wes Montgomery, maybe smoking at the half note. Ralph Towner and John Abercrombie, Sargasso C. Just, you know, off the top of my head. Those would be some that I would, I would listen to a lot. Um, I really like that uh, Charlie Hayden, Pat Metheny recording. Uh, I think it's Beyond the Missouri Skies. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also uh, pretty beautiful, you know. Oh my God, so, yeah. I mean, I would search for things that are. I mean, I'm not that interested in stuff that's 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 chops. Like as much as I admire Alan Holdsworth, and I'll listen to his music. At a certain point, I want to hear real beauty, you know. Yeah. That's, and that's just a personal listening taste. Maybe maybe my funny Valentine live in concert oh, would yeah. have to be up in there. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you're stuck on a desert island, you want those CDs, those albums that really kind of give you the comfort and inspiration that you're desiring. Let me just wrap it up here for you. We want to respect your time, too. And uh, it it has been really an honor. Just such a pleasure to speak to you, Paul. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Will. Thanks, John. Hopefully it was interesting, you know. Absolutely. It's easy to forget that, that maybe people are listening to your music, you know. Hey. We're definitely listening to it, and I think a lot of other people are, and hopefully they're listening to this podcast if they know what's good for them. Uh, (laughs) Yes, you must listen. (laughs) Well, yeah, I hope to see you uh, on the scene again soon, my friend. Uh, It's it's a a different reality now, but I think we'll be out of it, and uh, I look forward to the next time we can hang and have a beer and uh, chat it up again. So, uh, thank you. Come by the Queen's Brewery. I'm playing with our boy Stan. Yeah, I I will actually. He uh, he asked me to do one at the end of August, so I'll, yeah. I'll be there at some point. But maybe yeah, I'll catch yeah. you there, man. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, yeah. I'm doing like the next two Mondays, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, killing, killing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you've worked with Stan, man. Stan Killian, great yeah. writer, very interesting yeah. stuff, yeah. challenging music. Oh yeah, I'm always trying to just live up to the last gig he had with you when I'm on the gig. <laughs> Uh, Paul, well, I'm like, trying to live up to the last gig he had with you, man. <laughs> yeah, well, Paul, thank you, man. On behalf of all thank of us. you, thanks to all of you, and congratulations on your your project. Um, thank you. Hope it has some great success for you, and uh, great to meet uh, John and Will, like in the sort of semi flesh. And Perry, I'll see you around the scene, man. Yeah, yeah. Stay, stay healthy man. out there, man. Yeah, and you too. Be careful. Thanks. Be safe.
Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash newwestguitargroup. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.